welcome to another episode of the 905er podcast uh, with me, Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And we're welcoming back this week a uh, friend of the podcast, Shannon Gillies. Hi, Shannon. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Thanks. So, and I mean, we uh, I invited you back because it's, you, you were a great guest the last, the last time and we like to... Uh, we think people need to hear from people other than Joel and me every now and again. And also just because um, I was reading a, a Twitter kind of conversation that you tweeted the other day, which, which sort of tweaked a, um, an interest of mine, um, basically with regard to how our, our city halls deal with, um, uh, what's the citizen engagement problem, but to put it in, in simpler or a less kind of tedious sounding terminology, um, very often what gets reported as a kind of citizen uprising is actually about two or three angry people um and and you know how those conversations are framed uh can be very misleading and um and not be particularly helpful to the, to the conversations that happen in our city so maybe i could hand it over to you as our kind of first topic for the day to to give your kind of take on on that and the guy who was uh, who you were kind of reacting to who was uh, initially talking on Twitter. Sure. That's something that's interested me as well. Uh, just how, how issues, especially about development, are handled by our local media. So I, I happened to see this person's tweet. I don't think he was even someone I follow. And he's someone who's interested in um, uh, housing issues from Connecticut, and it popped up. And the point he was making was that local journalists often use the uh, big bad developer against the concerned residents trope, right? They're ruining the city. And his point was just that that kind of oversimplification and that slant of the story can end up doing more harm than good in terms of, you know, addressing housing scarcity and affordability and other issues around housing well that's that, I, I thought i thought that was it, it's an interesting point of uh to take because it's something that we've kind of touched upon here here on the podcast is that it, it's it's easy to frame everything as an us and them argument right like that, that binary argument of just oh there's got to be somebody who's a, a villain and somebody who is the hero of a story um and especially more and more we've talked about with um uh, with development, it's not quite that uh, that 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 cut and dry uh, a solution. Uh, there's a lot more nuance, and there's a lot more more uh, more things that need to be addressed uh, that way. Yeah, I think nuance is the, is the key word here, and, and I know that one of the most frustrating things when when I ran for council, uh, not raising this issue to toot my own horn at all, but I felt that I kept on getting pulled into that polarization that actually I wanted to get away, I wanted to get away from. But what I did want to do is sort of treat both sides with with a level of respect. So in Burlington at that time, there was a, a very contentious issue related to development. I won't rehash all that necessarily right now. Um, I guess my own, uh, as I've lost count a number of times, I've had this discussion on Twitter, but... I, I have a thing about the, the NIMBY word because I feel that, you know what, people have a right to have their opinions and they may be wrong, they may be right. Uh, I, I think when we're talking about individual members of the public, 
it's kind of punching down a little bit to to say oh well you're just a bunch of nimbies you know however that doesn't mean they're right um that just means that people have a right to an opinion and i tend to think well i think it's worth being extra respectful towards people who are not experts in a given field who don't usually get involved in in uh, you know public matters or going down to the city hall or whatever just respecting the passion that they have um, I think is an important point. Um, however, it's absolutely right that, um, well, from a, from, a, from a journalism point of view, it's a hell of a lot easier to say the big bad developer. Um, it's also a hell of a lot easier, you know, it's not your target market to an extent, isn't it? It's, it's like, you know, who's, who's going to read this? It's a lot easier to sell outrage than... Absolutely. And I, but yeah, most important point of all I guess is it just simplifies things to a point that are just so far beyond I mean you end up this situation which happened in Burlington of 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 people feeling it was an us versus them thing of a that it was all a given council's fault when it's about the province it's about the region it's about um I mean ultimately I feel a lot of this is is all about huge deficiencies in the way that urban planning is done in Ontario from top to bottom, uh, with the way the zoning is done, with the way that our law has developed over decades and decades, that needs that courageous governments might actually sit down and, and really take a view of reforming at a fairly fundamental level. But those are discussions which just aren't happening right now. Um, and into that kind of void, we get this, where it's just ex- easy to kind of exploit the, 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 the simplest reaction to anything, which is that people don't like change. And uh, how you get around the issue that people just don't like change when change has to happen is kind of the the essence of politics in many ways. That's one of my super long uh, points that that starts off in one place and <laughs> ends up in another. So feel free to comment and tell me that I was gibbering. <laughs> I think it's because it's because it is so complicated, and there are so many different levels involved that I think that contributes to the oversimplification of the issues because it's, you know, it's just too complex for most people to understand. Even us who you and I both ran for council and it's a full-time job learning (laughs) how all these different growth policies work and, and who does what. And so I think you end up with these us versus them issues because it just gets, it just gets narrowed down to that and it's easier for people to grasp when they can see something's bad and then something's good. And and this is what the newspapers do. Well, it's, again, going back to something that we've, we've talked about here on, on the podcast, I mean, we had uh, uh, Mike Moffat on uh, a few weeks back to talk about the fact that there is a, there's, there's a real uh, void of supply in, in not only the 905 region, but kind of the, the province as a whole, which is what's part of, it's contributing to the rising, uh, the runaway pricing. And I find that what angers me about this is in the media, there's like the Global Mail on the weekend was was talking about this in their uh, in their when their features, and they're still talking about it as if this is a bubble. I'm like, guys, this isn't a bubble. This, this the prices have not come down in over a decade. Like this at this point, like don't call this a bubble. It's it's like words do matter. Don't call it a bubble. It's 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 something else. We are we are facing some of the highest housing prices in North America, forget Canada, North America, we are pricing ourselves out of our own homes. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem when 
you have you start you start getting into the generational divide of trying to you know what do how do millennials have housing security and how do, how do you encourage them to stay to stay and contribute and to have families and build communities what like again we're going we're get, we're getting deep into the weeds here but we kind of have to because this is these are the consequences of these debates and as you're saying uh Shannon you know framing it as an us versus them binary debate hero and villain it really simplifies us and really sells us all short in the fact that developers you know developers aren't necessarily the the villains of the story they they are trying to build they they just they build cuz that's what they know how to do they know how they to are build. what they are Exactly. Yeah. They they're like, well, we know how to build homes. We know how to build condo buildings. That's kind of what we do. And they make money. And there's nothing. They're, yeah. they're a business. Right. And that they're yeah. right. There's they're not nothing, here to build nothing. affordable housing. Well, no, that's, but that's, that's where the million dollar question is that is that that I mean, yeah, we we have good developers and bad developers in this province, um, and mm-hmm. um, I think no doubt. I mean, that's just a, as an, as a as a matter of industry regulation and the huge political clout that they have over not just one political party in this province. Um, and I mean, those but are issues that definitely need to be. But, but again, it comes back to when the media doesn't go into these, dis- these issues and give the nuanced discussion, which is something like not to toot our own horn here, Roland, but something you and I <laughs> always try to do is say, well, and we've tried. We've tried because these are very complex issues, and we've noticed that the overlay, um, like we, we in our previous episode with uh, uh, Carl and Sean, we were talking about how the need for development is now uh, brushing up against First Nations rights uh, in Caledonia and and for the Six Nations, and you can frame that as oh, it's just you know, it's a, it's a First Nations land claim. Well, that's something completely irrelevant. Well, no, it's not. It's it's the 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 need for us to live in places and have affordable housing that's directly brushing up against their what they they, they are calling their sovereign land it, it's it, like these things are not and then we also have the issue of the green belt and highway 413 that we've also covered and the idea is that the, all these things are kind of siloed is got we got to get this out of the out of our heads this is all connected it's all you know one does not happen without the other uh, say so. And we kind of need to start coming into the, the fact that we need to start taking ownership of the debate and start framing this conversation, not in terms of, well, I don't want my my downtown to change. I don't want my 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 community to change. We have to accept it's going to change. The question is into what? Um, and, and, and how can we make that happen? I mean, yeah, how can we make that happen? How can we build the best possible downtowns? Um, yeah, Burlington's a classic example, or is a classic example. Lots of people, I think, reasonably upset with um, a lot of the development that's happening because I don't think it, I don't particularly find a lot of it to be the best that could be built. But actually, that's not a power that our municipalities have to to design at that kind of level. All they do is they kind of put blocks on a map and say these are the envelopes that you can build within, and then there's a whole load of horse trading that goes over it about how big the envelope ends up being. Um, what everybody agrees is we need a huge more amount more housing. Um, what everybody agrees is it's not getting built right now. Um, I guess it's not entirely agreed that, well, I think there's increasingly a consensus amongst people who aren't politicians that you're not going to get this housing built by the development industry because why would you build affordable housing when you can build 
unaffordable right. housing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, there's no, you know, I, I, well, I mean, this is, this is a sort of quote that I, I think would probably be a good, good cover for a book one of these days. Like, like, um, what, what the, what the free market builds is slums. If you, if you want, if you want to, you know, affordable housing built by a, uh, unregulated industry without government subsidy, you'll get slums. Um, if you want good quality, affordable housing, you need the government to be involved. Um, and you know, yes. we've seen there are countries around that do this, who have, that have vast stocks of municipal housing uh, that is high quality, that is well-maintained, and which is not a massive drain on the taxpayer or anything like that, because people still pay rent. Um, it's that first point of actually building the thing that is the part where the government needs to be involved. Um, yeah. And they need to work together. The government needs to work with developers, all levels of government. It's not just a city issue. It's a regional issue. It's a federal issue. Um, housing, they need to work with developers and there needs to be some incentive for developers to, you know, add affordable. I mean, there are some policies in place that could be used and some tools, but that's mm -hmm. a whole other issue on its own, really. But I think it, it, another problem with Burlington is that it just you like we said it gets into an us versus them and people will say oh I'm not against growth I'm not against more housing I'm just against super tall buildings and then my problem has always been well then someone proposes a townhouse development and then there's all kinds of disagreement with that there's not enough parking and there's the backyards are too I don't know they're too high and they look into my backyard and they're we just never have a full discussion of what we're trying to do. I mean, I guess we do at the official plan meetings and people that come out for that, there is a, a full discussion of what's happening. But I think you're just regular people who don't have time to make this their full-time job well, don't really understand what Burlington's trying to do. But that's where, that's where, that's, that's where our elected officials need to step in. They need, that's where they need yes. to step in and say. And the, and the, and the media, right? It comes and, circles and the media, back and the to media that. To say like, why, what are we trying to build here? You know, one of the, one of the things that we've always thought that I, at least what I thought we need is more public access for Wi-Fi. We, you know, um, yeah, we've, we've seen here, uh, we're, we're over a year now into the pandemic. People are working from home. People like to go for walks in parks now that it's still legal to do so. Um, it, it <laughs> is it legal. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, who knows? Who knows? That's a different episode, but the, the, but you know, but people like you know, they, our 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 work lives has have changed. That we're no longer turning into these commuter suburbs. We're now turning into well, no, people want to live here, and stay here all the time. Go out for a bite to eat. Go out for a drink. Go to grab a cup of coffee. I can do my work from home. I can log on to a Zoom call, Teams meeting, whatever the case may be. I can do this all from home. We need to start facing the reality that that means our our cities have to change we might need to accept the fact that yeah more high rises but that doesn't mean that we have to give up on green space like the, yet no. i think the problem is that we always get you know, this, again coming back to the us versus them debates is that these debates get don't get turned into what does this what do we want the city to look like what do we want the region to look like it turns into well what is this one square block this one city block going to look like i i don't i don't like that therefore tear, tear the whole thing down yeah and i, I feel there's been so the, the, the Places to Grow Act, which is what, 2006, something like that? The Places to Grow Act, to Grow Act did a lot, had a really, it fundamentally changed the way we, we look at development in a good way. It was fundamentally a good act 
that has had a bunch of unforeseen circumstances, which tends to be, that's what happens with legislation. Um, and one of the products of that was 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 the, the Urban Growth Center thing, which again, in principle, is a fine thing. Uh, the idea of putting people next to transit, absolutely a fine, good thing. Um, as long as you get those, <laughs> as long as you actually have transit where you say you have transit. Um, however, I was just looking, you know, this is the, the irony of the situation is that the Holden region right now is just going into its regional official plan process and it's, it's putting out various things at the moment asking for input. I challenge you to go and find any newspaper, local, regional or otherwise, that is mentioning this when there's exactly the same process happens at a city level or hell breaks loose. The region has far more power than the city does over what happens in any particular place. And yet the regional story will not be reported because you can't basically sell a regional story uh, anywhere in this province, I don't think. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and yet they're going through exactly the same stuff. Where do you want to put things? Do you want to allow, you know, basically they, they are offering right now four choices, I believe, between, you know, highest density to lowest density with some uh, green space being built on to no green space at all being built on. And then all kinds of like huge numbers of like, well, if you go with this route, um, you know, there may not be enough uh, employment lands for to, to, to provide jobs for people. Um, and it's like, is that really true? Or is that, I think what the ultimate problem is in Ontario, actually in North America, I think the ultimate problem is that the car-centric nature of things and the single-family home-centric nature of things that we built everything for the car means that the places that we allow for development, either you can build on a green field that's never been built on before, or you can build in a in an urban growth center. Now, an urban growth center is maybe like one or two percent of the total city's area, and we're just saying that all the rest is basically off limits. You cannot put a a triplex or a duplex in a in a uh, next, you, know, you can put a huge uh, McDonald mansion on my street, which could easily house 10 people if you divided it up into apartments, but try and build something the same size that will house three families and you'll never get away with it. Now, the reason the cities traditionally haven't done that is because, you know, the voters freak out when that stuff comes up too, but they're going to freak out anyway. <laughs> it's, it's the, ultimate, the ultimate lesson I'm used to, well, doesn't matter what you do, people are going to hate it. Um and I think, given that fact, better to take on the whole issue of this nonsense of basically where middle class people live is untouchable and everywhere else you can put high rises. Well, that's not quite being right. But basically, places where the wealthiest people live are the, are the places where development is most controlled and it's most unlikely to um, allow any oh. intensification whatsoever. And I think that's, a, that's the big conversation that we need I'm, to be I'm, having now. I'm, I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to chime in because we're going to have to keep going on to our next topic, uh, which is what, Roland? <laughs> this is corruption. Um, corruption in, in, well, possibly alleged corruption in Brampton, um, in uh, Patrick Brown's um, City Hall, where the CEO, which is the CAO, David Barrick, um, uh, for those who aren't familiar with, with that particular phrase used in a city context, it's the city manager, basically. It's the same thing. I don't know why he's called a CAO in uh, Brampton, but uh, he is. Um, 
has been uh, faced by um, some serious allegations. There was a staff member a couple of weeks ago who uh, basically did somewhat of a kind of whistleblower um, uh, um, uh, allegation of, of serious impropriety and was immediately fired. And now there have been, um, uh, the CAO has been questioned by uh, members of council uh, about his behavior, about hiring people, um, about uh, redesigning the entire process of, um, of auditing um, and overseeing uh, city decisions and, and redesigning in such a way that the, the person who is tasked with making sure staff are, are behaving the way they should has to report to the main staff member in the city. Those two things are meant to be completely separate and um, uh, completely separated for obvious reasons. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's, there's, you know, I think this has really got to the stage now of, of a full-on kind of scandal. Um, uh, the Pointer uh, uh, website uh, and and uh, and podcast have been at the forefront of this, done a really good job of kind of shining a light on this. And in fact, I think it's really down to them that this has now become something that that council that mm-hmm. council itself is is being forced to address. And well, yeah, it's, it's a bad scene. Um, uh, Mr. Barrack was formerly employed um, by the Niagara Region Co- uh, Conservation Authority and uh, left with other members who are also now employed in Brampton under a considerable cloud. Um, uh, allegations again of impropriety so this is a pattern that was kind of warned of when he was first hired by Patrick Brown but guess what these are old friends through the PC party who um, uh, have you know uh, whose whose relationship goes back far beyond um, uh, either of their involvement in municipal politics Uh, so well I know Joel what do you think what what are your what was your take on this story uh, my take is it stinks. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I the, the 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 pointer, uh, and if, if our listeners remember, we had a, 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 a Simon Graywell on on from the pointer on uh, a few weeks ago to talk about the the need kind of to highlight stuff like this. But uh, I mean, this is basically like to, yeah. To summarize, this Mister Barrick, David Barrick, gets hired after being turfed out of. Niagara region, the, the conservation in uh, Niagara region for imp- just, there's a cloud, there's a, a dirty cloud hanging over him from being fired from that job. And then he falls back into, you know, a pretty good job with the city of Brampton. And they, they, it looks like, no, I'm not, we're not going to say for sure, but I mean, it looks like there, a part of it was due to his connections with uh, Patrick Brown. You know, Patrick Brown is, is good friends with them. And you have to wonder about this, like this, this there's, there's too many questions but that not going answered here is is my is my concern um because what a lot of people don't realize with a city manager is that council it's the one position in a city staff right that council can hire and fire so i'm assuming if it stinks too much council can just vote to fire him well, that, it's, it's i don't so, know if it has to be unanimous i don't think so but it, it sounds like the the council's trying to do the, the do their due diligence and get to the bottom of this sure. if, um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to give the council the benefit, benefit of the doubt because, I mean, the, the again, uh, kudos to the, the, the pointer, uh, Nita uh, Zafar, who's the, the reporter covering this, she's doing a fantastic job of it. Um, but 
you know, city council, like they're saying like city councilor like Jeff Bowman is asking uh, David Barrick, you know, what's going on? Basically, you know, what's going on here? And he's just getting stonewall answers. I mean, the, the fact Silence. that- Silence. <laughs> well, that, I mean, the fact that you have a, uh, the, the CAO moves the independent auditor who's kind of, who's kind of meant to be like the checks and balance of the, of the municipal structure says, oh, no, no, now you're going to report to me. You know, like basically the problem there is- well, the problem there is like okay, so when the independent auditor says, "Well, you know, I think the 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 CAO is is acting Im- improperly," oh no, we'll just you know we'll, we'll shred that paper in the in the company shredder, and and that won't be seen by city council. Is essentially what we're worried about here, and that like the whole situation just stinks uh, to to high high heavens. I, I suspect that I I, I believe that um, Brampton may have had a number of may have a number of kind of rookie councillors who were involved, you know, because they would have been involved in the hiring of, of uh, Mr. Barrett at the same time as, as Patrick Brown became uh, mayor. Um, and, uh, well, I certainly suspect if I'd been a new councillor at the time of a hiring, <laughs> uh, it's probably a good time to pull the wool over the eyes of a new councillor the first few months of uh, they're in the job. Um, it, and, you know, and that sometimes, well, very often in politics, people then don't want to admit the mistakes they've made um, when it turns out later that they should have been a bit more careful about what they were doing. Okay, but uh, Roland, Roland, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, impugn any new time counselor or any counselor at all. It, it, from what we're hearing, it appears that this gentleman, Mr. Barrick, was hired due to his close relationship with Mayor Patrick Brown. I mean, and like according to oh, the, the story, yeah. they, like this wasn't like a passing casual relationship. This was they were good friends, long a longstanding professional friendship from their their days in the Progressive Conservative Party provincially. So this doesn't appear to be like a you know oh you know I I I he sounded like a good guy to me. It sounds like so you know it, more more information needs to be brought to light on this one because there's stuff that is not adding up and. People, I don't think, are going to be walking away um, Scott clean on this one for sure. But it's the kind of thing where a council probably just wasn't paying attention to this. There, a council's not really involved in the staff to the extent of they know who's reporting to who exactly at all times and mm-hmm. things that get shifted. And now the the bizarre thing is is that this Mr. Barrick is saying, "Oh, this is the way it always was." Which, right. which clearly, it's always been like yeah. this, and it seems so easy to prove. I don't really understand. It was it was part. proof that the the councillor uh, uh, councillor uh, 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 Bowman brought uh, out no, it, it wasn't always it's this way. In fact, like he he, would, he like he was saying, I was in the meeting when we we actually officially you know made it official the the reporting structure of the of the city. So no, this wasn't always the case. You just did it no on your own volition, and it's one of those things like it. We I mean again, I'm just. To, toting our own horn here. We, didn't, we had uh, Shauna Stolte on to talk about what it's like uh, to be a, a councillor. Like it, people like it, being a city councillor is a lot different than being like an MP or an MPP in elected office. Like you don't, it's it's still in many ways structured around the idea like it's a part time job, and that we don't really want to give you that much power over the governance of the city, right? Like you know, if if you if you right. think if you thought the councillor as as the MP or an MPP of the city of Brampton, you know, they would be like, they would have legal rights and legal obligations to say, no, I'm, I want 
to call an investigation. I want to call a committee meeting. I want to get to the bottom of this. You know, a lot of this is like, yeah, you're right, Shane. Like this comes back like, oh, it's a, we discovered it after the fact because we don't really have the, the, the structure isn't there for us all to talk to each other and say, are we comfortable with this guy? We all have to decide like right then in the, in the council chambers as one, we can't say, no, no, I want, I want to talk with you about this offline because, you know, something about this doesn't, it doesn't smell right to me. I, I don't, I don't know what I want to get to the bottom of it, but I need time. Can he, can he buy me some, you know, buy me a week for us to, to really make a decision here. That doesn't happen yeah. at the municipal level. And that's more the point I was making with the kind of rookie councillor thing that, 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 you know, a new mayor wanting to bring in his friend was say, Hey, this guy's really good. Uh, I can vouch for him. He, he's great. And you're a rookie councillor. You're completely on your own. You don't have staff who will go and do the background research for, for you. Uh, you don't have time, like you say, to kind of go offline and say, okay, tell me more about this. You, you're, your only time to kind of consider that will be in a council meeting, um, probably one because it's a staffing matter that's, that's held in camera, but still doesn't really make any difference. Um, it's kind of a public forum. Um, yeah, it, it, it's – and this is a kind of inherent problem with, it, again – fundamental problem I think with the way our municipalities work uh, and that stories like this in Brampton are happening all over the place uh, this is a particularly bad example but we've spoken how many times about a situation in Hamilton where um, just uh, you know the, the kind of um, arrogance and hostility displayed by members of council towards members of the public um, the uh, dysfunctionality of of um, well, to a certain amount, you know, a sort of semi-dysfunctional relationship between staff, uh, councillors and the general public, all three elements not really getting on with the other two elements. Um, this seems to be a constant pattern um, in and I, those cities that I've paid any particular close attention to all seem to go into this same pattern. Um, and we spoke to Joey Coleman a month or so ago, sort of like, you know, what's the ultimate problem here? And he pointed towards the sort of lack of the lack of a properly funded kind of oversight. Um, and, um, I believe there is an ombudsman, but uh, uh, I don't think that's a particularly well funded uh, um, entity. Uh, so cities are kind of um, very much under their own guidance to kind of make sure that they're running themselves properly, which seems like asking for asking for trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I was going to say it. it I was going to say it is. It is wrong. Like if you think about it, cities today, cities today were 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 founded in, on average, in the nineteenth century, right? When when like because every every city in Ontario is a is a product of the province legislation. The province creates an act that says we are going to create the city of Hamilton. We are going to create the city of Brampton, the city of Burlington, the city of. Uh, you know, Mississauga, whatever. It's all an act of the province. A lot of that is generated underneath the the, the idea of a 19th century thinking, which was mostly just, you just need to pave some roads, put in a, a, a market to sell your, your, your hogs at the fair and your produce from the, from the fields. The idea was like the cities were just commercial hubs where the farmers would bring in livestock and crops to sell at the market. Put it on a train and ship it off to to a port or Toronto or or Montreal. That that was the ultimate idea of what a city was going to be. Our cities have grown; they're more nuanced. They are far more dynamic than that nineteenth century thinking. 
yet the the structures that are relied to govern those cities are still that 19th century thinking you know no nobody thought of hey the city like i don't i don't know what the co- what the the corporation of the city of burlington or the city of brampton has but i mean we're talking multi-million dollar entities like these are these are huge corporations right like if they were trade on the on the on the stock market they would be sizable entities uh, with real estate and and staff and and whatnot, so you know we need to we need to treat them as such, which is greater oversight, especially because they're our our entities. They're we we own them through our tax dollars and our our votes, but they aren't given the the proper tools to to govern and to oversight and to check on themselves to give them checks and balances to say, are we making the right call? Are we are we hiring the best people to to govern us? The longer time goes on, the more I, I, I question our weak mayor system, a weak, weak council system, really. Our cities, are, in some ways, are almost only semi-democratic. And then we, we elect people, but those those elected people have quite limited power. Now, sometimes I look at many councillors and think, thank God they don't have more power. <laughs> I mean, they've already got too much. Uh, however, that's me being cynical, me being less cynical and thinking that we need more democracy, not less democracy, um, and that Democracy is best when it's operating closest to the people, uh, not when it's remote. You know, the uh, democracy in Ottawa is not much use to me most days of the week because it's so far away and it's dealing with things that are very kind of on a scale that's beyond my, uh, doesn't impact me, quite frankly, on a day-to-day basis very often. Whereas council politics, you know, if they cut the budget on the on the garbage collection, well, I'm going to have trash outside my house pretty damn quickly. Um, although I should point out that's a regional, not a uh, city issue. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem right that we elect these people who are then, to a significant degree, at the mercy of staff, even though staff are almost always well-intentioned, but are at the mercy of what the staff kind of put in front of them, when they put it in front of them, how they frame them, what is put in front of them. Um, you know, so, um, and that councillors are, I mean, councillors in... Many parts of Ontario earn something like twenty thousand dollars a year. Um, like the the uh, deputy mayor of uh, London, not a nine five city, I know, but we'll use him as an example. Uh, extremely talented guy who we had who we had on um, back in the fall sometime talking about the uh, ranked ballot issue. I believe he will have earned for what was very very much a full time job about twenty thousand dollars a year. You can't ask people to do that. You know, you're treating uh, people who are putting their life and soul into something as as amateurs, and then also not really giving them um, the power that they need to make serious change. Um, because the staff, again, this is not a criticism of city hall staff. Uh, I think it's a criticism of of a way that institutions operate. Institutions tend towards conservatism, uh, protecting. You know, it's just the bigger you grow. The more people want to protect their little fiefdoms, and they, the, the, you know, again, people don't like change. It's not just in our what well, we don't like change on our streets where we live. We also don't like change in our offices where we work. It's purpose of democracy to get us out of that rut and to direct uh, d- direct our institutions in a way that we can actually get the change that needs to happen. Um, and yet, if if councillors basically are held up every step of the way because they can't talk to each other, they can't can't have a kind of platform 
I mean, whatever you put on your literature when you go door to door as a counsellor is a joke because most of it will never happen because you have no power to pursue any of it. No. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a frequent kind of joke amongst candidates, really. I mean, it's they it's like yeah, these are these are these are my aspirations. Um, whether it happens, God only knows. Most likely not, um, because I have no idea who my colleagues going to be, um, and even if all my colleagues agree with me, uh, trying to well, you can certainly you can give staff directions. Staff direction is not like a prime minister uh, having an agenda for government, having cabinet meetings, having uh, you know that that kind of uh, concentrated, directed purpose um, that 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 actually can change the way we are governed. Um, yeah, I mean that that's my feeling right now is like again, but this is not a conversation that's happening anywhere. Uh, that I think so many people feel that they are not well represented by the way things work in municipalities, and yet no political party is even talking about this subject, about having you know, not just tinkering with the edges, but major change to the way our municipalities work. That's my TED talk for the week. You, you, you <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth, Roland. <laughs> we, we need to start thinking about actual legitimate change at our municipal levels and start treating the problems we have as as real real problems not not imaginary and not you know not not to be avoided because they're happening um sure and and decide who runs the city i mean there's i think there's so much friction in every city between the the council and the staff who's really in charge here you know a city staff is supposed to be accountable to council council's accountable to the residents that's that's what bothers me is that we like I, I understand, you know, we, we kind of come back to the whole idea of, oh, well, you know, council can't, has to be the paragon of democracy and whatnot. No, it, it, you're elected to behave properly. If you act improperly, if you're crooked or whatnot, you get turf, you should be turfed out. If you don't, if the people still vote you back in, they get what they deserve. Um, that's that's the point of democracy is that you don't get the, the, the perfectly right candidate for the job. You get the job, you get the candidate that you choose. Um we we have we have had right. really horrible people elected to office. They you know the 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 you know the current the current iteration of the, of the provincial government. A lot of people are going to say that they were the bet wrong people to handle this global pandemic. Yep, that's what we got. That you know, like it or not, that's who's in charge because that's democracy. Will they make it to the next one? Have no idea. I wouldn't put it past them still getting reelected. I really would not. But that's democracy. They get, we get what we deserve. Um, yeah, and you know, and what angers me is that we don't have that same level of, of respect for our municipal councillors. You know, they they should be able to 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 have more power to be able to step in situations like this and say, uh, this doesn't pass the smell test. I have issues here. I'm calling, you know, I'm calling a a, a mulligan or, or or whatever. I w- I want this to go to a committee. I want an investigation. I want this to be something something doesn't smell right here and i'm t- i'm not just taking your you on your good word without without more accountability es- go ahead shannon no especially especially as you were saying as sim- cities have become far more complicated than they were ever designed mm-hmm. to be like you said i mean even 30 40 years ago probably burlington's you know their biggest issues were the parade you know they'd vote on a parade or you know, the issues are so much more complex now. And it, it really does raise the question of how much power should the should the councillors have? I, I, and I think ultimately you have to trust 
democracy. It's like, yeah, you, I mean, it's absolutely like I made the joke about it. you look at some councillors and think, thank God they don't have more power. But I don't, you can't have it both ways. I think ultimately you have to trust it. And I think maybe if you do give, if you trust democracy and trust the voter, basically, we don't have to trust the, the councillors. We need to trust the voters and, and you give them the responsibility that they deserve. I, I think you're likely to get better results. You're le- likely on the average to get better people running for the job, better people, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, right now, a lot of people don't want to run for the lower levels of government because it's, it's, it's frankly not that interesting to them or, you know, the pay is atrocious or and it's not atrocious in every city, I should add, um, but certainly atrocious in some. Um, and, and again, you know, the, the idea that say in a city the size of Burlington, seven people is, is a decent size for a council, I think is, is something that needs to be, seriously discussed as well um you know it, it, we needed 12 people 20 years ago and now we only need seven uh i i think you know and well and then you take toronto where we're in an even crazier situation of course where you know you've got one councillor for the size of a complete riding i mean that's we need to trust these people to to make decisions and you need to have enough people that they can make appropriate levels of decisions Let, let's leave it at that for for this for this week because we're coming up on 45 minutes um so you know what i'm going to say thank you to shannon for coming back we'll hope to have you on again sometime soon for, for another riveting conversation on the 905 but thank you for coming on and we'll talk with you everyone later thanks for having me <laughs> That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous.
us. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the, the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.